like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And currently we are reading Martian Time Slip. Uh, this is the my part four on of my comments on Martian Time Slip. So if you're just joining us, you might want to go back and listen to the first three episodes. As I've talked about a couple times already, this is one of my favorite novels uh, Dick wrote in the 1960s and one of my favorite overall. So in the first part of the first half of this novel or so, or about over halfway through, we meet our major characters, Arnie Cott, the head, or the head of the Water Workers Union and one of the most powerful men on Mars. We learn about the conflict between the UN and the Martian colonists. We, especially the, the UN wants to purify Mars of men, mental illness, meaning they're going to have to basically kill many of the children on Mars who are at a special school called Camp BG, in which that's where the mentally ill uh, students go. We meet Manfred Steiner, a young autistic kid whose father has just killed himself, and we see the aftermath of that suicide. We also meet Manfred's doctor, one of the most prominent psychiatrists on on Mars, who's having a lot of financial problems and hopes to work for Arnie Cott, but is slighted. But he has a very interesting idea about Manfred. Think in his uh, he has a theory that autism is simply a type of time displacement. Arnie Cott believes he can use this time displacement strategy to basically turn Manfred into a precog and then manipulate the frontier real estate market. Meanwhile, we also are introduced to our main character, Jack Bolin, who is a repairman who spends much of the no early part of the novel just flying around Mars, doing different jobs, not spending time with his wife, importantly. His son goes to the public school. The public school is run by um, Teaching machines. This is a traumatic experience for him, especially when he has to go to repair these teaching machines because Jack Bolin is a schizophrenic. And one of his major schizophrenic moments on Earth happened when he saw a man as a robot. And here we see robots who appear to be people teaching children. This re kind of kindles his schizophrenic experiences and he starts to feel more and more out of place and, and, and bothered by that. In fact, um, at a dinner party, he sees Dr. Glob as a robot. At one point, now Arnie Cott hires Jack Bullen, or basically leases his contract, in order to use him to make a device that he hopes will allow him to manipulate Manfred Steiner and turn him into a precog. But one other kind of wrench into the plan is that Leo, Leo Bolin, who is Jack Bullen's father, has arrived with news that the UN is going to develop. A certain area of Mars, kind of a wasteland part of Mars called the FDR Mountains, into new modern modern housing. While they're going investigating that, they take Manfred along because at this point Jack's experimenting with Manfred, and they go to the FDR Mountains. And there, Manfred draws a picture of of the future of the FDR Mountains, and what we see are a decayed slum. 
So he sees beyond the new modern buildings that are going to be built there and sees into the far future of this region and finds it as a slum. And we realize that not only does Manfred see the future, he sees only death and decay and a bleak future. And he also sees himself living out a long, boring, dreadful existence in the FDR mountains, in these new housing complexes, which are called, ironically, uh, all men are brothers, A.M. W.E.B. from uh, the Schiller poem. All Amentia Vedder Bruden is, I'm sorry, my German is not that good, but that is the, that's what they're called, all men are brothers. Yet it becomes a slum and Manfred is doomed to live out his existence in this slum. And that's how he experiences life. And that's why he's autistic, because he always lives in this bleak future for himself. And he sees everything as it decays and becomes horrible. And that's the realization we have at the end of chapter nine. And that's where I left off in, in the last episode. So as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me on this journey through, through Martian Time Slip. In this episode, I'll be looking at chapters 10, 11, and 12. These chapters are, they, they really fit together kind of nicely. I've been doing like just three chapters just to break up the book. But these three chapters actually do fit together very well. What entail, I'm going to give you the broad picture before I go into the chapter by chapter because it'll help us uh, follow along. Basically, because um, Jack Boland is going to hang around with Manfred, he's going to see three different times, one moment that's going to take place a fourth time when it really happens. So the, the chapter 12 ends with a meeting between Arnie, Doreen, Manfred, and Jack at, at Arnie's house, a kind of a party, a drinking, and then they drink and party and it, and you know, eventually Arnie and Jack fight over something. That's how chapter 12 ends. But that, that party is experienced three previous times by Jack through Manfred. And it, it there, all three times this experience is very strange. It's a little bit different, but they're progressively more bizarre and weird. Um, so there are like moments in which he's kind of flashed out of time. And he does, and, but then meanwhile, various plot things go on too in, between these three these three experiences culminating in the actual lived experience of of the party so um, in fact chapter 10 starts with jack who's still at the fdr mountains or just where we left off in the previous chapter dealing with the fact that manfred drew this picture of the future of the fdr mountains seeing them as a decayed horrible slum uh, and at that moment he's thrust into this experience of that's going to happen to him later in the story this he's at arnicott's house and in fact the the wording that dick uses is the lets us know that we're really having this experience and the first sentence and all three times is inside mr cott's skin were dead bones shiny and wet mr cott was a sack of bones dirty and yet shiny wet his head was a skull that took in greens and bit them inside he, he inside the greens became rotten things as something ate them to make them dead that's the sign that we're in this kind of out of time this time slipped experience so what actually happens in this? Well, Arnie Codd is showing off a recording of his, a record uh, of Bruno Walter conducting Mozart's Symphony Number no. 40, K550. And that happens all three times this experience, including in the, the final time it's real. And who's there? Well, it's Doreen Arnie, Jack's there, Manfred's there, and, and so is Helioglabulus, which is the trained bleakman that Arnie keeps around. They're drinking. 
they show Arnie the drawing that Manfred made, which shows the future of the FDR mountains. Arnie is a little frustrated um, by Jack um, because Jack's lack of progress. And he keeps Jack around, though, because he's such a skilled repairman. But there's also like tension between Arnie and Jack in that Arnie learns that Jack's father, Leo, also has designs on the FDR mountain. So he doesn't fully trust Jack to actually help him with this scheme because Arnie wants to get this land first. Um, but Leo's kind of in on this and, and he doesn't fully trust Jack because of this familiar relationship between Leo and Jack. And so that's what really is the heart of this tension between Arnie and Jack. And that's going to kind of overhang the rest of the novel. Nevertheless, Arnie has a lot to be hopeful for because he realizes that Manfred can indeed see the future and so that there is potential in there. It's just Jack doesn't really know quite yet how to use this and harness it, especially because Jack's already realized that Manfred only sees the future in its kind of bleak, dark, decayed state. It's like if you only see you see people in the future, but you only see them as dead bodies or something. You don't ever see them you know, in their, in their happy time or any, they don't see any, he doesn't see anything good. He just sees the bad in the world. Anyway, so th that's kind of somewhat the events. It's all, every time we experience this party, it's a bit muddled because the characters are drinking and it's being experienced kind of psychedelically the first three times. Um, so Dick kind of gives us little pieces and clues of this, but um, you know, that essentially what happens there is Arnie and Jack's relationship is, is threatened by his lack of progress and his realization that, that Leo, Leo Bolin, has designs on the FDR mountains and that Jack may be delaying in order to give his father time to, to fulfill his deal. Um, but then they're drinking and they're listening to classical music. So this experience happens and this, of course, he's reliving, he's living the future. Uh, uh, that's going to happen later, I think that same day. But he's back with his father after, the, after experiencing this event. And they they ask that they ask the question whether he should take the 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 drawing or take Manfred to Arnie. And Jack comes to the conclusion, fairly shrewdly, I think, that the best solution to this, because he already sees that Arnie is going to be pissed off if you know knowledge of Leo designs on the FDR mountains is realized. So he, re he thinks, well, maybe I'll just tell Arnie later, right? Maybe have my father do it. And then, then at that point, tell Leo about, or tell Arnie what happened and then continue to work with the Manfred case or whatever. He does ask though Manfred to draw the meeting he's going to have with Arnie. And what Manfred draws is a fight and he also draws a death. So the realization here is that if he goes forward with the meeting, the way it was envisioned the first time, it's going to end badly. This is what Dick writes about the drawing. Drawing away with his blue crayon, Manfred made one of the two men in his picture, the one who had been hit in the eye, fall down and become dead. Jack saw, saw that, saw the figure become supine and then still. Is that me, he wondered, or is it Arnie? Someday, perhaps, I will know. So it seems what happens is that then our, our Jack makes certain decisions about how he's going to deal with this dinner party, and that's what changes the way he experiences it. Again, and immediately after realizing that this will end with a death, he relives the experience. And we begin again 
with inside Mr. Cott's skin were dead bones shiny and wet. Mr. Cott was a sack of bones dirty and yet shiny wet. His head was a skull that took in greens and bit them. Inside him to the greens became rotten things that sometimes ate them to make them dead. Now in this time, Arnie, Arnie and Jack don't get into a scuffle over, over Leo. That's not recorded or, or it's not included. It, it seems that Jack's changed how he's going to approach this meeting. And that's changed what actually is being predicted in the future. But this whole section, it's five pages or so, is really surreal and weird. It's all kind of seen through Manfred's eyes. So we see everything kind of decaying and getting older. Um, for instance, one, we got a description here of Doreen during this, this party. Quote, her eyes fuzzed over opaque and from behind one eye, the lashes became the furry probing feet of a thick haired insect stuck back there wanting to get out. Its tiny pin head red eye peeped through the through past through the loose rim of her unseen eye and then withdrew. And after that insect squirm making the dead eye of the woman bulge and then for an instant the insect peered through the lens of the eye looking this way and that saw him but was unable to make out who or what he was. He could not live. He could not fully make use of the decayed mechanism behind which it lived. Like the op overripe puffballs, her boobies wheezed as they deflated into flatness. And from the deep, dry interiors, through the web of cracks spreading across them, the cloud of spores arose and drifted up into her face. The smell of mold and age of the gobbler. So we, we know we're in Manfred's mind, partially because the word gubbish or gobbler and all that, but also the description of breasts as boobies. And it was kind of how a kid would look at it. But again, Manfred is seeing everything as it's decaying and dying and, and rotting. And that's, that's kind of what's going on here. It's a really bizarre um, moment. And then Jack leaves this scene. He then goes, so Jack's back into the normal timeline after experiencing this party in a second time. And so he goes with, to Lewistown and he's, he meets up with Doreen and he's with Manfred. And they begin to discuss what Manfred really is. And of course, there's different theories about it, whether he's autistic, whether he's out of time. And now Jack has realized that he actually, it's farther than that. He actually somehow dwells in the future. But now he realizes that maybe it's possible that he can control the future and change it because of his kind of reliving these experiences that are going to happen in the future. He's lived it twice now and they're a little bit different. So is there the theory that maybe Manfred can actually affect the future? And Jack says to Doreen, it's the end between me and Arnie tonight. I know it. I don't know why. It almost seems to me that Manfred does more than know the future. In some ways, he controls it. He can make it come out the worst possible way because that's what seems natural to him. That's what sees reality. It's as if by being around him, we're sinking into his reality. It's starting to seep over us and replace our own way of viewing things. And the kind of events we're accustomed to see come around now don't come about. It's not natural for me to feel this way. I've never had this feeling about the future before, end quote. It's so wonderful because we have a, the Martian frontier in which everyone has these great dreams for, an optimistic future, but it becomes crappy. And it becomes crappy maybe because Manfred lives, because Manfred is projecting only a decayed, rotten, slummish, dull, bleak, decaying future for, for Mars. Maybe that's why the future sucks now or why the frontier sucks. But think about how we read science fiction these days. I know I mentioned this several times, but where's the utopias anymore? Where's the great utopian writers? All we get, book after book, move, especially in the movies. I mean, books, are, you know, you still have Kim Stanley Robinson and other people who are basically optimistic. But in the movies, oh my gosh, it's like every future is bleak and horrible. 
I, I, there's, I don't see optimistic futures anymore in, in science fiction film. I, I don't remember the last time I've seen a really optimistic vision of the future, right? Even like those silly space operas like Star Wars. I mean, the last one, it's just, you know, it's just bad. I mean, there's nothing to look forward to in, in these visions of, of the future. And then it becomes true because maybe this is the danger of this kind of dystopian literature is if we only see the future as bad, then of course it's going to become bad, right? It's, it's, it's like prophecy, right? Prophecy becomes true because people believe it and they change events to make it true, right? If a fortune teller tells you, you know, you're going you're gonna to marry a tall, handsome man and you end up marrying someone, of course you're going to imagine him as tall and handsome because the fortune teller prophesized it. We, you know, if we had a more optimistic vision of the future, if we were capable of utopian thinking, maybe the future won't be doomed to be horrible. At least that's what you can hope. So that's why I like the solar punk people. The, you know, they have a more optimistic view of the future. But anyways. Jack thinks about rejecting, basically getting out of this job, working with, with Manfred and Arnie. And that's how chapter chapter ten ends. So, but the core of chapter ten is these these two experiences living, you know, experiencing this party twice in different ways, one more surreal than the other, and then this meeting with Doreen, in which he starts to doubt whether he should be pursuing this this profession, this scam with with Arnie. Then we get to chapter eleven, and chapter eleven begins with the third time Jack has this experience, the third living of the of the meeting of the future. And again, it begins. Inside Mr. Cott's bones were dead bones, shiny and white. Mr. Cott was a sack of bones, dirty yet shiny white. His head was a skull. You know, I've read that already twice. Um, this time is only a couple pages. And I mean, Dick doesn't have to relive every event that happens, but it quickly descends into just gobble, gobble talk. So we're, we're clearly in Manfred's mind. So that's the third time we experience it. And in chapter 12, we'll finally see, have, you know, actually experienced the real event. Um, but the, the core event in chapter 11, uh, well, it begins with Jack going back to the public school with Manfred. And, and he thinks a little bit about his own mental illnesses, and he thinks about what he's learned by, for, from interacting with Manfred and the things that's happened to him. And he starts to define psychosis as a, quote, utter alienation of perception from the objects of the outside world, especially the objects that matter, the warm-hearted people there. What takes its place? A dreadful preoccupation with the endless ebb and flow of one's own self, end quote. So it's basically this pessimism. He's, he's essentially defining psychosis as an assumption of pessimism about, about the world, this inability to see the good things in life. And that's what Manfred is. Manfred always sees the crap. Uh, he always sees things as dead and decaying and ugly and you know, and that's how he lives his life. And, you know, and that is how Dick here is defining psychosis. Um, he goes into, and then he goes into the school. Um, then we shift scenes and, and we're with June Hennessy chatting with Sylvia Boland. So Boland, is, Sylvia Boland's an interesting character here. She, she's always in the backdrop. She's the first character we meet though in the story. And we learned right away that she's kind of depressed. She's on drugs. This helps, she helps, helps her get through the day. But she's kind of a desperate housewife. Now, Bolin, Jack Bolin, we know is a good guy, you know, and essentially moral. But he's busy, and he's more busy now because he's got this Arnie Cotton Manfred thing. And, and Sylvia's just lonely, 
And June Hennessy is this neighbor who's had affairs. And what they ha talk about is the virtues of affairs. And Sylvia Bull initially does not want to have an affair. She doesn't think that's a solution. And she knows, like with us, that Jack's basically a good guy. But June Hennessy, the neighbor, tries to talk her into having an affair, saying that basically they're good for you. They keep you happy. They'll make your husband happy because maybe you'll learn what ways you're not a good lover or, you know, it's just about pleasure. It's not really cheating if you're just, if it's just sex. So they kind of have this talk. And eventually June Hennessy talks her into at least being open-minded about having an affair. And we see adultery as a response to the boredom of living in this kind of suburban environment. You know, whether a job would have fixed it, I don't know. But certainly Sylvia is just bored and starts to become convinced that adultery is a way to liven up her life and maybe have experiences she's denying herself. It's actually a fairly good case for adultery being relatively harmless. I don't know if that's what Dick really thought about it. He's still conflicted on, 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 on sex and family and adultery, especially. Now, at the end of this section, Otto Zitte arrives. Now, Otto Zitte is Norbert Steiner, the man who killed himself. His former co-worker who's kind of taken over the profession of selling this health food, health food black market health food, but he's going to go back to his old pattern before he started working for Norbert, which was to basically sell stuff in exchange for seducing these housewives, not taking money, but just seducing them. And so right on cue, after all this talk of affairs, Otto Zitte, who we know is a man who preys on, on housewives, arrives. Now, Globe and Anne are... Dr. Glob and Anne. So Anne Esterhazy is Arnie Cott's ex-wife, and they have a son together at Camp BG, who is basically developmentally disabled. And Glob and Anne are talking about this. And now this, the kid is called Samuel Esterhazy. He's a minor character in the novel, but he's an important motivator for Anne and, and to a lesser degree, Arnie. And Glob wants to revenge Arnie for mistreating him at the dinner. Basically, Arnie went to that or Glob went to this meeting with Arnie for a job because he's got a lot of debt and he thinks a contract with Arnie would help him get out of debt and live a better life. And everyone assumes that the psychiatrist is very rich and he's not. And that's kind of a joke that runs throughout this character. And basically Glob is threatening Anne, saying, in my judgment, Samuel is not mentally ill and therefore doesn't need to be at Camp BG. Instead, he's just... just I'll use the word Dick uses here, retarded. I mean, so he's basically got learning disabilities is is the claim. And therefore, he's unqualified to be at Camp BG. Now, the good news, I suppose, is then he wouldn't be subject to the UN bill that's going to close down Camp BG and maybe euthanize these kids. But nevertheless, Anne wants to keep him at this school. And so it's kind of threatening to him because she doesn't want him going to the normal public school. He needs the special treatment at Camp BG. Um he, he needs a pure motive. And he actually, Glob thinks about how he needs a pure motive for doing this because obviously it's going to be seen as vindictive if he just goes after Samuel. So he makes up this excuse that, well, Samuel is better off in the regular school because he doesn't really have mental illness. So then we go to back to the public school with Jack and Manfred. And Jack is talking to the Mark Twain machine. Oh, so first, he, they enter the school and actually he loses track of Manfred. He doesn't know where Manfred is. And so he starts to ask around for if anyone's seen the kid. And he eventually has this conversation with the Mark Twain machine. 
and there's a there's a little bit of an interesting conversation about education here, and I think one of the most interesting subplots of this story for me is the way education is being done on Mars through these teaching robots. Because um, I, I do think education is one of the things that can be automated and might be actually more effective if automated. Although I, I'm not quite sure about that. I haven't read any good articles on, on this. I've looked a little bit, but I haven't found any good articles on the potential of automating education. But certainly, there, the, I think the technological potential is there for this. I don't know if it'd be like these, these machines, although it's a clever way to do it for children. Um, and he, the Mark Twain machine talks about history and the use of these historical figures uh, as teachers. And the Mark Twain machine says, here in the school, as examples not to be emulated, but to be avoided with the most scrupulous zeal, you will find, sir, as you make your, your peregrinations around these halls, that many rascals, pirates, and scamps are on display, sermonizing in dolorous and lamentable tones their edifying histories for the enlightenment of the youth, end quote. And then you actually have the Mark Twain machine smoking a cigar while apparently teaching kids while smoking cigars. It's really a wonderful moment. I don't know if novelists would do that these days. Um, but so you have actually like bad guy robots teaching parts of history. So Tiberius is, is one of these and different pirates and things. Uh, great. But it, it's a lot of fun. But then at some point, he starts to have this psycho psychedelic experience again. And the, and the Mark Twain machine starts to talk in the gobble gobble. And then he meets the Ed Thomas Edison teaching machine who starts to do the same thing. And what Jack realizes that Manfred's presence at the school is actually invading and transforming the structure of the school, changing the being of the school. That it's just not, it's not just a psychedelic experience by being near to Manfred. Manfred's actually changing reality and make, integrating it. And that's the danger of Manfred. That's what's so problematic with this kid is that he could actually begin to make the future live out his bleak vision of, of, of how things are. That's chapter 11. We get to chapter 12 and um, so basically um, Dr. Glob gets a call um, from, he's at Camp BG and he gets a call that there's a crisis at the public school and it's referring to Jack Boland's psychological breakdown he's having at the school. So he goes there and and you know begins to talk to, to Jack about what happens happened to him there and basically Glob thinks Jack is, you know, reverted back to his schizophrenic state. Um, and we, they have a discussion about the problem of, of psychosis, something connecting to something Jack was talking about a little bit earlier in the story. Jack's interpretation of psychosis is this tendency to see everything as bad. Here's what Glob says, though. It is a massive, massive problem for the psycho schizophrenic to relate to the school. The schizophrenic, such as yourself, often deals with people through their unconscious. The teaching machines, of course, have no, sh have shadow personalities. They're all on the surface. Since the schizophrenic is accustomed to constantly to ignore the surface and look beneath, he draws a blank. He's simply unable to understand them. So a little bit, slightly different definition of, of, of the psychosis or the schizophrenia. Essentially, though, Glob wants to take advantage of the fact that Jack had this psychological breakdown in order to get access to Arnie because he still wants to screw Arnie. And so Glob begins to decide he's going to be the, the spokesperson for, for Jack and he's going to be the one who's going to speak for, for Jack's mental health in his relationship with, with Arnie. In effect, hoping to get Arnie to 
to give in to what Glob wants, which is a good job, essentially. Or may, at this point, maybe he just wants to get back at 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 uh, Arnie. So then we shift scenes to Arnie, who gets a call from Scott. And le- earlier, Scott was sent on a mission of basically finding out about Otto or finding out about the black market goods. Because with the death of Norbert Steiner, Arnie no longer has a connect to get these black market goods that he relies on. So Scott's able to tell him about this guy, Otto, who used to work for Norbert and is now kind of pursuing the 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 profession taking it over and Arnie wants to basically get in on that and doesn't want Otto to, to have this monopoly. So Doreen arrives then and they talk about adultery. And as I talked about in the last episode, Arnie's not that upset that Jack has started this affair with, with Doreen. He's pretty cool with it. He actually thinks it might be good because it'll keep, it'll keep Arnie, it'll keep Jack close uh, to, to Arnie. And then um, Glob calls, talks about Jack, talks about Jack's psychological problems, and basically says, you know, he can't, you can't give him this pressure, you can't give him this stress. Um, and now we reach the moment in which the scene that had been relived three times previously actually happens. So it all happens this night. So Jack and Manfred arrive. Glob calls again, and by this point, Arnie's a bit annoyed that, <laughs> that Dr. Glob keeps calling. But this time he calls with a more direct threat. And he says that basically Samuel, your son with Anne, is going to be kicked out of Camp BG, um, giving the same reason. But now he kind of uses Jack as uh, part of the threat as well, saying you got to got to lay off Jack. And then we enter back to this repeated scene, everything with the Mozart Symphony, with Bruno Walter conducting. But also it's kind of weird because Manfred, during this scene, we start to see it from Manfred's point of view. And Manfred actually has this encounter with this dark man. He has a vision of living in a hole under AMWEB, this uh, housing development that's going to be built. This all I mentioned, Verden, Bruden, all men are brothers. And he visions kind of being under there. And we realize that he spends a lot of his time just living out this very bleak future in the slum kind of alone and the weird stuff we saw before like there was a scene earlier in the novel where Manfred just experiences like this this bird hovering over eating meat and there's bird crap all over the scene that is actually him something that's going to happen to him at some bleak future he, he's, he's living his, his own the worst moments of his of his old age the suggestion is actually he's going to be there for for hundreds of years Jack also begins to have strange experiences at the party. He experiences actually a death at the party. He also has visions of of AMWEB, you know, very much via Manfred's experiences. And eventually, very drunk, and you can kind of see this because there's the mixture of alcohol and these weird experiences with Manfred being there. Doreen and Jack leave the party, and then they begin to have a kind of a normal, regular conversation at the end of the chapter after they escape, and they talk about their affair and they they think about it and and Doreen thinks well because he might he's hesitating a little bit to go full full in on the affair and Doreen asks are you afraid of of Arnie you know you don't have to worry about Arnie and Jack says I'm not afraid of Arnie and he finds out that he's worried about his wife and and he thinks that maybe the best thing for his family is to go back to earth 
And so it's kind of a sad moment where this budding relationship, we realize maybe can't go ahead because because Jack's going to be committed to his his wife. And, he, and at the end of the day, he, he's going to do the best thing for for his wife, despite pursuing this affair with Doreen. So um, that's chapter 12. And this brings us to to the climax of the novel, the last 50 pages or so, the last four chapters. And I'll explore those in the next the next uh, episode. So this this part of the novel, chapters 10, 11, 12, are the weirdest part of the story. They're they're the hardest maybe to get a grapple on. Um, basically, it's all surrounding this this party and, and the relationship between Arnie and Jack breaking down. Um, and then the way Manfred shapes the world around him and the way Manfred experiences the world. Those are the common themes in this part of, of the, the book. So in the last chapters of the story, we're going to see the, what happens with the Arnie and Manfred scheme to use um, Manfred as a time travel machine. We're going to see how Manfred can be reached. Um, it's not going to be technology. It's not going to be Jack's brilliant uh, repair repair abilities or technocratic abilities. It's going to be the bleak men, the indigenous people on Mars. People I didn't talk about in this episode, but um, that's going to be the access. There's going to be a whole little quest, and then the resolution of a lot of these plot lines. So it's it all comes together pretty nicely in the final episode. So in the next episode, I'll, I'll finish up my play by play of the story of the novel, and then give some of the overall thematic. Um, points of the story. There's a lot of them, certainly, but I'll try to give a, a brief as possible summary of, of the thematic core of this novel in my final episode. So as always, thanks for listening. If you have your own feelings about this part, this is maybe the part of the novel in which I probably got the most wrong or, you know, didn't quite get everything. It, it's, you know, it's a, it can be confusing. It's, it's classic Philip Dick at this, at this part of the story. Um, it really it is full psychedelic. Um, so please leave your own comments or thoughts on these chapters uh, in your comments below or, or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. So with that, I will go. Thanks as always for listening. And I'll see you next time with my finale of my review of Martian Time Slip. You must till you find the And contentment forever If you